Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Pastor Troy Richards, and with me today, Evan Fatterhoff. Thank you, Evan, for being here. So faithful, as always. Thank you for welcoming me. <laughs> you are so welcome. And Clayton Carver, our small groups and administration pastor here at First Baptist Jackson. Happy to be here. Thank oh, you. we're so glad to have you today. And uh, we are both wearing some semblance of red today. I don't know what that symbolizes or anything. But, symbolizes uh, Jackson. Uh, that's right. There you go. Our church colors yeah. going all the way back. Yeah. Our church colors who we think gave birth to our town colors. That's, we're going we're gonna to go with that. We're riding that wave. Okay. But uh, it goes back. Anyway, we'll have that discussion another time. But uh, we are so glad you're with us on the podcast today. We have so much to talk about, and, and I mean that. We're going into the book of Deuteronomy. We're dealing with the Sabbath day. Is it good? We, We'll deal with a lot of do we, don't we observe the laws given to us in prophecy. the... in the Yeah, we talk about prophecy. That's right. And we talk about the do we observe the Sabbath day? Do we not observe the Sabbath day? Do we tithe? Do we not tithe? Uh, those questions at the end of the podcast. And uh, anything anything else that uh, comes to mind, we will throw it out there. So, But uh, it's, it's going to be a nice journey today. So we're going to cover a lot of ground. So we're going to get right to it right when we come back from this brief break on Understanding Jesus. We have a new ministry here at First Baptist Jackson. It's called Holy Grounds. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and we have gourmet coffee available. Our own barista in-house. So we hope you'll come join us 9 a.m. Sunday mornings for Holy Grounds. From 9 to 9.15 we have a time of fellowship where we donuts and coffee and then Bible study. Always from some amazing Bible study. You can sit in the observation deck and just watch or you can participate. It's up to you. But come join us. Check it out. 9 a.m. Sunday mornings here at First Baptist Jackson. We're going to take a moment now and look at things that stood out in the reading for this week. And we are man, at, a, at a really a great ending of Deuteronomy and uh, and into the Gospel of Luke, which is amazing. Obviously, obviously the Psalms and Proverbs are always uh, astounding at this, uh, this section of reading time in the spring. But uh, I wanted to highlight something from Deuteronomy chapter 18 and uh, verses 18 through 22. Um, it says, uh, Moses is saying, I, I will raise, or uh, I was, it is God speaking to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And uh, that's a good word for anybody who comes up in church and says, I have a word from the Lord. Um, I'm not saying we're going to take that person out to the parking lot and, and stone them to death if it doesn't come true, but to understand that there there will be a, uh, God will clearly, easily show, reveal that it is him who's speaking. And we'll do so in a way that he is trying to show that he's speaking. But 
Um, I, I, the, the King James Version capitalizes the word prophet in this passage, but just understand that 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 that's a that's an interpretive right to uh, to capitalize that. But uh, but it, while I do believe it is a the idea that uh, that Jesus is the prophet. Uh, who is being talked to here? That uh, there are many prophets who are going to be brought to Israel in the in the coming years after Moses is given this passage. Many people that God is going to speak through, and so God is giving him a guideline of saying, "This is how you know the guy. This is how you know Isaiah is right. How you know Amos is right, uh, because the things that they are going to share are things that are going to come to pass, come to fruition." And uh, and really, it, he raises up not just a prophet or a few prophets. He raises up a whole line of prophets. Uh, in fact, in in Israel, they uh, they have a role of prophet still. I think they still do. I think they still have a person who they um, see recognize as being the prophet to hear from. I know in some, uh, I know in Mormonism, that's a, a thing. They have the prophet uh, that uh, that draws from that, which we obviously don't believe is uh, legitimate. But the um, but the but in the Old Testament, you do have a lot of prophets who we really, um, I would say, we would recognize that. And you guys can jump in on this if you want, but we're going to say, I guess John would be the final prophet, um, actual prophet, prophet. I, I, I would even, I would probably argue that John the Baptist was the final prophet, prophet, and that John was given a prophecy and draw a distinction between those two. Would you? Is that fair? I would agree. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't, I don't think the apostles would be a Old Testament type of prophet. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, there's no, there's no need. So we see we see John the Baptist, Jesus label. I mean John the prophet, John the Baptist, John the prophet, John the Baptist is a prophet, um, and given the role of, of proclaiming the Messiah, and I think that is, I think that ends the, I think that's what they were all kind of doing all the way up through is revealing more and more about the coming Messiah, and then uh, and details are given, and then John the Baptist is the one who's given the task to say, he's here, it's all done. Yeah. But but at the same time. Prophecy. This is. I think this is kind of where we've misunderstood prophecy a lot. Only about was it like ten percent of Old Testament prophecy is actual like future future prediction. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The rest of it is speaking to the present. Proclamation. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So in that way, Pastor Troy yeah. is still a prophet. Correct. Uh, the apostles yeah. were prophets. And yeah. Little know, p. Yeah, yeah. The reformers, all the church leaders before them, are right. little p. With a gift. Function yeah, yeah. of prophecy yeah. to the Lord has revealed certain things to them about what's going on and what needs to be said to his church at this yeah. time, things like that. And that's, and that's, that's kind of like, as we understand ourselves to be of uh, the priesthood of all believers, that we are, that we are kingdom priests uh, before God, uh, not the high priest that uh, has temple responsibilities, but uh, the, but we are, but we are a priesthood that, uh, that he has created um, where we all share responsibility, where we all have access to God. And we're able to pray and, and speak to God and so forth. So we have priestly rights and responsibilities. But but uh, but the gift of prophecy, uh, I think I think that's the I am not a, a cessationist. So that uh, I I I leave it open. Do people know what that means? Can we tell them. Uh, okay. Well, it means that the uh, that the. <laughs> well, no, I'm glad. Jump in. Oh, it means that the the spiritual gifts that are um, like prophecy, speaking in tongues, translation, and healings. Are mostly ceased, if not all. Yeah. Very good. Ten points to Gryffindor. There you yeah. go. Very good. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And uh, and and I and I don't uh, I don't want to quibble with people who are cessationists, but um, I'm more I'm more lean toward that uh, God does not reveal to us in His Word that gifts have ceased. It's just a an understanding that that existed during the apostolic age for an apostolic purpose, 
and since we are past the apostolic age, it would be more um, for people who are dispensationalists uh, who believe there was a dispensation of time where God demonstrated these particular gifts, and now we are no longer in that dispensation or that time period in which those gifts are being utilized, that it was for a purpose and a plan in that particular time period. It's a theological framework, but it's not a it's not a factual. It's not something we can say, yes, absolutely God has revealed this in his word to be true. So mm-hmm. um and I and I lean toward and probably because I, I have a wife who comes from a Pentecostal background and was forced to uh defend all these things to a, a large group of Pentecostal people. Uh but the but I see more of a an openness to because I, I ended with the well, I guess God could do it. If he wanted to do it, it's not like he's he's restrained from doing it. And I and I hate to take that to say that all these people that to invalidate the things that they are experiencing and so forth that aren't real. But but I do go back and say, but if it does happen, it has to happen this way because it has to mm-hmm. it has to honor what God has revealed uh, already. It has to if God is giving a word then it cannot have revelation that we have not already received. Right. It, it has to, it, but it can affirm, it can be, a, like you said, a, a proclamation of truth that's already revealed, but um, but it, ha- and it, it has to be something that comes to fruition. Um, and, and, and I think what happens is, and, and this is absolutely true, the when when I would say when we argue about speaking in tongues and uh, and with some people at, at seminary and would say, do you believe this happens anymore? And they would say, well, I believe if you think speaking in tongues is was used to reveal new truth, I don't believe that happens anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would be like, well, no, I don't believe that happens anymore. But they said, if you think that you're talking about an ecstatic utterance that someone could be saying and someone else could interpret that because God, the Holy Spirit, just gave gave them this understanding of what this person was saying, saying, like, you know, that could be possible, but I don't think that's what this is. And it's like, Oh well, okay. Well, that's what they think it is, and so a lot of times it reminds me of a time when I was talking to a group of people, and they said they were oneness people that they believed in Jesus only. Mm. And I said, well, how do you deal with uh, this passage in in uh, the Gospels where Jesus is being baptized, and the Father speaks from heaven, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove, and Jesus is in the, in the water being baptized, and the the voice says, "This is my Son, whom I will please." I mean, so who's the voice, and who's the who's descending, and who's in the water? And they said, well. I believe that there's just one God, and He is uh, one part of Him is speaking, and one part of Him is in the water, and one of Him is the Holy Spirit sending. I said, you mean like three different persons, but one God? And they go, yeah, that's a good way to say it. And I'm like, it okay. is a good way to say it. I'm like, okay, well then we're probably on the same page. I'm not sure where you're getting your terminology from, <laughs> but uh, someone has just given you. And what people will do is they'll hear, they'll be a part, they'll go to a church or they'll they'll hear something, which many times does have a heretical uh, understanding to it, but they take that terminology and then think, well, but then believe something that really isn't heretical. It's a, and mm-hmm. so it's so we use these terms and words and phrases like prophet. I mean, like saying like like again the gift of prophecy. Like you said, it's not it's not about me telling the future as much as it's just the proclaiming of truth. And I, I think that uh, I, and I I hate it because when you say hey he's acting really in the role of a prophet right now. Uh, what you're really saying is he's not really acting like a teacher, or it's not really a teaching discipleship moment, but he's but he's just being a bold proclaimer of that which God has already revealed, mm-hmm. and uh, and God is using God has gifted him in that way to speak directly, speak truth 
uh, very bluntly to the church, I guess is yeah. what to say. But I, I've, I've heard it another way where they'll try to prophesy over someone and they'll more or less speak vaguely about something that makes sense for that person to have gone mm-hmm. through. And then they're like, oh, that's so true. Um, but I think there's another thing that's important to say that, that like with the, all these spiritual gifts, um, they are not a proof of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's something that what no matter what camp you're in, um, that we we have fruits that are listed in the scriptures that are designed that that God designs them as as those are are markers of what a Christian will do when their heart's different. Mm. But they aren't um, even those things like the actions you can you can act like someone who loves someone and still not have Christ in you. Um, right. And and it's really over a period of time understanding and and we obviously can't know everyone's heart perfectly, but we can see a general desire for what they are doing. But if we're looking at something like speaking in tongues. And I know there are some churches that teach that you do speak in tongues, and when you speak in tongues, then that is proof that you're definitely saved. Right. And, and what what's to say that that Satan's not speaking through you, or the, or the enemy in general? Well, that goes back yeah. to an Azusa Street revival, and back in the early 1900s, right. it's, it's really a mod, a more modern phenomenon. Right. But it was the and it has the the idea of a second blessing, taking the Book of Acts right. and saying that the the, the uh, in the Book of Acts you have this demonstration of this gift being given at these mm-hmm. different times, and just uh, for the record, every time you see that, though, in the book of Acts, he's actually demonstrating that the Holy Spirit is coming to a different group of people, which is, is really Luke demonstrating Acts 1-8 being played out throughout the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit's given in Jerusalem, then the Holy Spirit's given in Judea and Samaria, and to then to the other most parts of the right. earth. And so you, so it's like, uh, if you understand it in that way, it's like, oh, I mean, there's a reason why the, that this, the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit is being done in these cases. Right. And it always has a purpose behind it. It's not just random acts of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit coming yeah. upon people. Yeah. Um, and, I, but I think, I, I think too, another thing, like people have a prayer language and, and so forth, and they'll be talking about this yeah. prayer language, this private thing. And the, and, the, and the scripture deals with that. It says, you know, it's just not for public edification. Just don't right. do it out in front of people. Just mm-hmm. that's your own personal worship. It doesn't say you shouldn't do it or can't do it. Just says it's not, that it has no place in worship. And where Paul says, I would rather have, you know, a few words that uh, people could understand than right. many words that people uh, couldn't understand, obviously. So, um, well, there's a practical yeah. side of things too, and maybe is pragmatic the right, right word for that. Whenever, yeah, yeah. Pragmatic, yeah. So, like, that's how my I think about stuff a yeah. lot of times, and and maybe that's not fair in some situations, but I I like to think that there there's generally a practical side of the way that God uses things. So, well, going back to the prophet thing, because I'm curious, do you, can you think of, can either of you think of anybody who you would say, uh, in mo- in the modern era has used the gift of prophecy or been used as a prophet in like the predictive sense not in the predictive sense in the, but in the yeah so so that we get a better understanding just of what, in the in the declar- proclaiming to the present right, analyzing yeah. the present yes um not specifically in our day but i would argue that c.s lewis was a prophet in that sense i would do that i would say that too but, i would uh, say absolutely c.s lewis is a good a great example of someone who spoke things that we all needed to hear as if the holy yeah. spirit was saying yeah. this is a word for the church he, he was able to put his finger on things yep af- well, from a biblical worldview that most yeah. people weren't picking up on yeah. and i i mean there's a lot of preachers i think have moments where i've, I've listened to sermons and think that's a prophetic word mm-hmm. you know that's that's a word that we needed to hear from god that's mm-hmm. what you get i mean and he was using the word but it was conveyed in a way where you felt the holy spirit's power behind it mm-hmm. that he was saying this is what you need to hear today right now yeah. billy graham 
uh, comes to mind as an evangelist. And so I don't, I don't, I, when I would hear his messages, it was always an evangelical appeal. It was never right. like, here's a word for the church. Uh, maybe yeah. I think Franklin Graham probably would be more prophetic in that way yeah. than Billy Graham was, but, um, yeah. but well, more so, but more so C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think of like, like the way that you define prophet in that way with, I guess, little yeah. P prophet, is that what you little said? Little P prophet. Yeah. So, I read a book a little while back where they defined the preaching out of church as delivering the mail to the congregation. Mm-hmm. Where you've read the scriptures, you understand what's going on, and then you look at their life and you can apply the scriptures to them. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I I think that a lot of the the pastors I listen to, generally on online or even you um, at at our church, it's um, I mean, if you're if you're defining prophet in that way as someone who is speaking truth according to the scriptures to a congregation, I think that. I mean, I think that you do that yeah. on a regular basis, yeah. but, but I, I don't think that's like, that's not generally how I would have heard the term prophet defined. Right. So, but well, think of Jesus as the prophet right. and, and, but he's not, he's not only in that prophetic role, but, but there are times when he's speaking that he is in the role of prophet speaking to the people. Yeah. When, when he says, woe to you, Pharisees, that's a word, you know, yeah. like is here's that, a word yeah. from God for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, other times it's he's teaching, right. and so he's a teacher, and and so demonstrating all. In fact, I, you could, I guess you could argue Jesus demonstrates all the gifts of the Spirit at one point or another because they're the Holy Spirit's gifts, and he's right. full of the Holy Spirit. And so I think as the church is the body of Christ, we don't all demonstrate all the gifts all the time, but we do demonstrate all the gifts collectively as the yeah. body. Christ being the perfect counterpart. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But yeah. um, would that not be more of a priestly role, or is that would you still define that as which prophet? part? The um like the woe to you Pharisees part and um, no I th- I think that I think that is the the priestly part I would say is more the fact that the we atonement have, the intercession yeah, yeah yeah never mind you're right yeah so okay cool will you let me read my yeah I'm ready for you awesome I'm on the wrong page all right so I'm reading out of Luke six I'm gonna read the first five verses so this is um in, I'm in the ESV so that helps anyone mm-hmm. so uh yeah Luke Luke six verse one so on Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, "Why are you what? Or why are you doing what is not law or not lawful to do on the Sabbath?" And Jesus answered them, "Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He ate and those who were with him, or he ate and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any of the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who or those with him." And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mm. So, I don't know why I struggle to read that so much. But um, anyway, I, I just thought this was a really cool passage. It's uh, one that I think back to a lot whenever I think of how um, we're trying to be legalistic or try to use tradition to define the way that we do things. And um, I think it's really easy for us to put um, things that are that maybe we're good at one point or um, could still have some benefit in some ways, but we place it as, um, God's rules or God's law rather than um, what uh, the Bible actually says. And um, Clayton and I were talking about that a little bit earlier, but but also just how um, how we place things in the role of church that really are, are our personal culture or history rather mm-hmm. than um, than the things of the of the law for them here or the, for us the the I guess the the example that Christ set for us. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was reading a book last night for school, actually, and they, she, she gave a really interesting definition of culture. She said culture is um, narratives that we hear repeatedly until right. we start to believe they are self-evident ways of human behavior. Right. Mm. 
That's a very good, that's a great definition. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, and Because I, I, I just read it, and I was thinking about your lesson Sunday night about culture mm. and how we get ingrained in it, and it's like a fish in water. A fish doesn't really know they're in water. Right. You know, we, a lot of times we don't recognize the culture that mm-hmm. we're in and how it's influenced us. And, yeah. Um, yeah. That'll be a great segue into mine. Well, okay. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about his. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Let's do it. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Oh, oh I, I can yeah. add, I add one more thing to add. But, no, add it, yeah. but then, yeah, have at it. So I, I was just going to add that, that applying this to my own life, there's lots of things that I've, I've done even the last year that, that I've, I've seen my culture shift in significant mm-hmm. ways. Um, just because and we'll use my college life compared right. to my now what would be more professional life. Um, even though I'm doing many things at the college, my life looks very different now than I did a year ago. And just seeing my culture shift it personally, like how so many things that I thought were true or, or made the most sense at that time are not the same as they are now. Right. And, um, so in the same way, like when we read scripture, not, I'm not obviously that's a phase of life shift. But but in scripture we have so many things that we think are true, um, think makes sense, and and part of that's just maturing. But right. but part of it's also that we have to understand that scripture is is very clear about the things that we should and shouldn't do. Um, right. uh, and then even I I think of like um, Romans where it talks about um, the shift from um, from following the things of sin to following the things of God, and like how our culture before Christ is um, not of God, and if we start to move those things into our life as a Christian, we have to understand, we have to turn away from those. Um, right. e- repentance is... The, the Sabbath is, is one, of the, one of the biggest struggles I have with um, cultural appropriation and, and wondering how much of it is actually what I'm understanding from what the Bible teaches versus what has been put in my brain. Right. And, and um, I know, you know, like, for instance, just taking Sundays, you know, we just grew up knowing Sundays are the Sabbath, and it's like, well, the Sunday isn't the Sabbath. And so it's like you, mm-hmm. when you get that revelation that, oh, oh wait, this isn't, we're, we're taking the Sabbath on the wrong day. And then even understand, because in, it, when you grow up, you're thinking, um, it's in the Ten Commandments, we should observe the Sabbath, it's on Sunday, mm-hmm. so we shouldn't work on Sunday. And you're just like, that's, that's what the Bible says. And people say, that's what the Bible says. And then you look at it and go, wait a second, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't, for one, uh, the Ten Commandments <laughs> aren't something that we are supposed to be, uh, as a church, we're not like saying we're not under that law. Right. You know? And so it's like, so that's, you have to understand that concept of grace and why we are practicing the Ten Commandments. And, and, and then... Uh, why we would be doing some and not others, and then and then one the the Sabbath is not uh, uh, on it's Friday uh, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and so then mm-hmm. and we don't and we're never given license to change the Sabbath day. Yeah. Um. I mean, we're to worship on the Lord's day. I mean, that's New Testament. We got that. So that so we carry that practice, but it doesn't say that we're not. But to make the jump from we shouldn't be working on on Sunday is is a jump that we don't that scripture doesn't give us mm-hmm. and and so we so but then it is so do we so how do we recognize sabbath so because right. god over and over again even before the, the the law is given so it predates the law um he so, so he even gives, before that question would you say yeah. that as christians in the new testament we are still supposed to practice the sabbath that was a discussion I had with some friends right before I moved home. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I mean, no, I'm saying it's a great question, yeah. and and the struggle is, yes, I do believe that there is to be that in the in the the design that God has uh, given us for how we are to live our lives in a way that is pleasing and glorifying Him within that framework, there is to be a Sabbath rest. Right. 
Um, I think ultimately that rest is in Christ. I think when I mm-hmm. look at Jesus and when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest, that, that is, is, is a call of saying, I am the Sabbath, you know, that I am, I am the rest that you are looking right. for. And, and in Luke 4, when he's talking about how you know, he's proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord, that he's yeah. basically saying, here's here, the jubilee that you've been waiting for, we're entering into that time. And so mm-hmm. part of it is that we are, I think we're free from the Sabbath in, in one respect, in that uh, we enter into Christ and we, um, and we are operating within what Christ wants us to be. So, uh, so that it's not a matter of, work six days. I think we're work I think we're with Christ seven days a week. Um but within God's pattern of behavior, this is kinda like uh Christians eat pork, but uh but it is I think it is a uh I think it is a lifestyle that God has given us that says, I do believe you should not work every day, that every that there should yeah. be a moment of restoration and rest. And I think Jesus modeled that. I think Jesus modeled that getting away to spend time in the Lord, to rest, and well, he, and he observed the Sabbath. Uh, so, um, but wow, I struggle with it. I yeah. struggle with it because it's it's super hard to implement in our world and in our culture. But it yeah. sounds like you're differentiating there between a physical Sabbath and a spiritual Sabbath. Yes, I am yeah. differentiating between a physical Sabbath and a spiritual Sabbath because I I think that, um, yeah, I, that's why I said the physical Sabbath. I believe we, uh, well, I don't um. I want to be careful what I say here that it's going to be played back and me go, oh my goodness, I said that. Um, the um, Well, another example of something uh, that has changed over time yeah. like that would be baptism, where we have the people who baptize babies as a way mm-hmm. to bring them into the covenantal right. group, right. which would be more of a Presbyterian look on things, right. as compared to us who baptize people after going to, or coming to Christ, as similar to the, this is my opinion, but um, similar to the picture that Christ has whenever um, he's starting his ministry and John the Baptist baptiz- baptizes him, and then as he leaves, tells us to be baptized as we're, you know, as making disciples, baptize them. Yeah. And so our culture and our change of how we're reading that has changed to we're baptizing them into the family of God if their family is in God already, um, yeah. as opposed to we baptize them in the family when they come to Christ. Right. So. Um, well, I think one is uh, that goes back to the regulative principle that we talked about before. I think week, that yeah. the scripture teaches us that baptism follows faith, and so we just carry on that practice that was given to us because we don't have license to change that, and it is part of the church right. institution we're given. I think in the New Testament, uh, going back to the Sabbath, uh, I think it came down to Gentiles versus Jewish practice, and when the Jerusalem right. Council met, in, uh, and not that councils have binding influence, but this is this is what scripture gives us. Is so. Uh, uh, when they met and said, well, we think they should, uh, it was more of a, a more, they should pr- observe our moral laws, uh, not eat things that are strangled and, or don't drink blood. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, I think that's the gist of it. Um, and, and the Sabbath wasn't included in that. And so there was kind of this, um, well, as far as the Jewish observance of the Sabbath, I think we are not under that. Right. Uh, and so, so, but at the same time, it it to me it is akin to, um, I think when you read the word it and and you read the Old Testament and you read and you read what God emphasizes over and over again, uh, and I know you're gonna question about tithing we're gonna address later, <laughs> so I'm already, but uh, because it goes along the same principle and that is, you have, uh, God saying, uh, 
this is what I want my people to abide by, and 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 he, and this is how even inherent in being in His image, and even how He creates the world in creation itself. You have six days of work, one day of rest, and God demonstrated He's not resting because He's tired. He's not resting because He needs to break. Uh, he's just saying this is this is kind of the cycle uh, that I have built into the fabric of how you're made. This is how I desire you to be. And, uh, and so just as a desire to please him and, and as he reveals, as that becomes clear to us, this is pleasing to God. I think, I think, yeah, I think we take, I think that's why we have a little bit of flexibility and say, I may not be able to observe as a Jewish, a faithful Jew would from Friday night to Saturday night, but I do think I can say, I'm going to set one day aside a week that I do not focus mm. on my own work and, 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 and so forth. And, and I think in the, in the word where they're demonstrated, where they close the gates, I think that's a good way. They didn't buy and sell and, and so forth. They weren't trying to make, you know, it's like, don't bring your stuff in here. Don't buy, you know, and, it, and as to whether you don't go to restaurants on that day, as to whether you, you know, that's between you and the Lord. I think it's like fasting. I think it's like, I think all these things are, I, I, and we'll talk about tithing after a while, but, but the, um, but I do think that, uh, that God has revealed to us, and because I'm convicted by it, I'm convicted that I don't do it enough. And I know here we have a practice where we say we tell our staff, you you need to take one day off. You need to have a day off where you are not focused on the things we pay you to do. Um, and we talked about the federal law that protects hourly employees. That federal law is that you can't clock out and continue to do the job you were hired to do. Right. I think that's the key. I think it is. If this is what your work is, then you do not need to do it. Seven days a week. That right. you need to, six days are given to work and, mm. and one day off. Yeah. yeah, and you can say more if you need to. But as no, we're passing I mean, it off, I, I just want to say that it is very important for the believer to have like we were asking about spiritual versus physical rest. Mm. Both are important. Like yeah. like both are important for the believer. Um, to and if you don't know how to spiritually rest, do it. Like like ask. I think the two fine. go hand in hand. I don't they think do. you do one without the other. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And but but it's very easy to physically rest. We all know how to sleep. We all know yeah. how to rest. Take take break as we need to. Right. But spiritual rest is very important, and uh, learning how to do that and rest in the Lord well to to spend time um, enjoying the Lord in a way that is restful is really important. I so. think that when when the I mean the greatest commandment He gives us is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think He's saying to us that that we are not we don't divide it up and right. say oh this is my I don't mean not we're not gnostic. I mean we're just yeah. saying, this is the this is my spirit person doing this, but my physical person's uh, my physical yeah. can do this because I'm not doing it. My, in my mind, I'm not doing it. I'm just doing it physically, and and vice versa. I think the it's all it's all together. Mm-hmm. And so because it doesn't do you any good if you are not. I mean that's why Jesus is saying uh, adultery is adultery, even if it's just mm-hmm. in your head. Uh, right. Because and the same thing is your work is work. If you're still working in your mm-hmm. brain, then you're not you're not you're not stopping working. You're still doing right. it just uh, yeah. mentally. And and like heart soul. When I think of soul, like like in our heart. Uh, mm-hmm. Both of those, like, like that isn't just going and taking a nap. It's also, right. it's also the prayer time and the, the the time in God's word and things like that. Like, like taking time to meditate over these things yeah. and to, and, and part of that, you do need to sleep. You do right. need to rest. You do need to take, take time for the physical side of things. But, but I think I, I know for myself when I was a few years ago, really had no idea what it looked like to spiritually rest. Yeah. And, 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 he's, and that's why he's saying the Sabbath, we weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. Right. It's, it's built into the fabric of what he wants for our benefit. Right. And so it, it should have a benefit. Right. And should make, we should be better after, not, not worse. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Segway. Good that stuff, was a long guys. segue. Yeah. It was. Good yeah. stuff. Sorry. But I am also in Luke 6 mm. in, the, in the latter half. 
Um, really, from verse 24 to the end, um, ha- has me thinking, especially as we record this on an election day. Mm. Um, I think what struck me, and I'll I'll flesh out how this applies in each little passage here in a second. What, what struck me about the discussion of culture in this passage is um, if I am brutally honest, perhaps skeptically honest, I think most Christians are discipled more by Fox News than they are the Bible these mm. days. Um, and I think politics has become the new religion of America. Mm. And I think um, that's causing a lot of issues. So I, I think there's these passages have a couple of different applications for that mindset like i said as we find ourselves on election day as we become an ever divisive culture um and that book i was reading last night it's called the argument culture and it it talks about how um in the last 50 years we've created a society that has become so binary that there's only ever two sides to any issue right there can't be any nuance there can't be any third option um it's you're with me or you're against me and that's it um so i think um, in that regard, I think the love your enemies passage is really helpful right now. Mm. Um, I think we have lost the ability to disagree charitably. We have lost the ability to um, discuss our differences. We have lost the ability to see somebody who has a different worldview than us as human. Mm. Uh, I'll go that far. Um, and I think what he's what Jesus says here is if you if you do what you're supposed to do, like if you love your fellow Christian and you do what you're expected to do, like so what? Mm. Like the mark of it of the difference is is you love the people who aren't loving you back, or mm. you're loving the people who you maybe shouldn't love in the world's eyes. Um, that's actually what gets people to notice a difference in you. Um, so you know, like I, I know the the Trump thing was really divisive and I know that politics is only going to get more divisive as, as we go forward. Um, and there's people who think if you voted for Trump, you're not a Christian. If you didn't vote for Trump, you're not a Christian. Mm. And you know, it's like, is, is that really our salvific standard anymore? Mm. Or is our salvific standard, um, that we, we buy into BLM or Mm. we don't buy into BLM or, you know, our, our um yeah. our standard of belief has now become very subjective. Mm. Um, it's not so much we're measuring people against the scripture; we're measuring against my interpretation of scripture. Mm. And uh, I heard a guy say one time that liberalism and legalism are the same mistake in different directions. Right. One says the Bible goes too far. One says the Bible doesn't go far enough. And um, they're both a denial of scripture's sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And so I think. I think the loving your enemies and the do not judge is a really timely reminder in this, in this moment. Um, and the tree and the fruit, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. Um, I think if you're being discipled more by the, the world around you, that's going to show up. And, um, you know, I hear, I hear people a lot of times, um, I heard it with somebody who I was really close to. Uh, we, we talked about an issue. Um, it was a girl I was, Mm -hmm seeing at the moment and um 
one of the things that was really tough for me to get around was she kept using this phrase about an issue we disagreed with. She kept saying, I know what the Bible says, but. Mm. Yeah, that's a rough phrase. That's not a good phrase. The only thing I, the only thing I think is okay after that is, but I'm struggling to believe that or I'm wrestling with that. Yeah. I get that. Everybody yeah. has their doubts. Some, there's things in the Bible. Even the Bible says it's hard to understand right. sometimes. Right. But if it's, I know what the Bible says, but I think this. Mm. Well, that that's not because it doesn't matter what we think. Yeah, that yeah. that's a that is a complete denial of the foundation of the Christian faith. Right. The Christian faith is this is the word of God. God is all knowing, so God can't be wrong. Right. Therefore, if me and the Bible disagree, I'm wrong. I'm I'm, I'm fallible, and it's not. Yeah, yeah, I have to figure out where I'm wrong and how to submit myself to this. Right. You know, David talks about it in the Psalms where he has to literally wrestle with his soul to submit it to what God has already said. Yeah. Um, and there are difficult things. Yeah, there are difficult things to to get past. But that, and but our that's, cul- our culture help does not help us in that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And we begin to uh, and uh, deception. I mean, the enemy yeah. is all constantly deceiving us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think wanna... I think yeah, just one more thing, and you can jump in for sure. So I think those things are a timely reminder in this situation. That said, those first couple verses I think is the warning to the self satisfied to the people who are comfortable. You want to read them? Uh, that's sure. That's yeah. So this is Luke six twenty four to 26. Uh, but woe to you who are rich because you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are full now because you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now because you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you because this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Mm. So Christianity's had a heyday in America. It's been culturally acceptable it's been it's been the preferred seat at the table um i, I don't want to use the word privilege because i know that triggers yeah a whole another discussion encourage yeah it's been it, it's had a prominent place right in our founding in our culture the whole time it's losing that mm. in some ways that's bad that's right. that's that's going to cause some difficulty and that's bad and i think that it's okay to want a a a nation that's influenced by Christian principles. Mm. I, I don't know why you wouldn't want that. Right. You know, we're praying for an entire kingdom that's ruled by God to come to this earth. Right. So in a way that's good. Right. Because because growth comes when you're uncomfortable. Right. And um I think there's there's a warning right now, I think, to a lot of believers, particularly conservative Christian evangelical believers, not politically conservative, but even theologically conservative. Um, that yes, we're we're being attacked right now. Hmm. I think we can finally say in America that we're being persecuted. I think that's fair. We just saw a, a woman in Nashville gun down people at a church because she thought that Christianity was oppressing who she really was. Okay, hmm. so I think it's fair we can finally say that we've reached that point. Um, but we can do two things about that: we can get bitter or we can get better. Mm-hmm. And we can we can view the people outside of the church as our enemies, um, which in a way they are. Mm-hmm. Bible talks about that. But the Jesus just said that said of this warning, I want you to go love your enemies. Mm-hmm. You you people who are comfortable, I want you to go do the uncomfortable thing. Right. Um, and that's difficult, but I think it's a good reminder of where we're at right now and how. With all the deconstruction and the leaving the church, 
Christian American Christian faith is finally becoming costly. Mm. Um, it's been costly. I'm sure everybody's different. It's been costly individually. Some people have have lost relationships and things like that. So, but culturally, it's now becoming costly right. on a grand scale. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a big difference. There's a long gap between celebration and persecution. And uh, and we have been on that sliding scale for a long time. But there's, you would have to be completely naive to think that we are not moving toward persecution and away mm-hmm. from celebration of Christianity in America. I mean, that's right. just, it's, it's, and every generation that passes, we move closer in that direction. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't change our mission. It doesn't change what we were called to do. It doesn't change who we are. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And yeah. that, and that's still, that's not to say like we're communist Russia where, or yeah. China, where you have to have underground churches. We may get to that point, Yeah. but or, it, it is, yeah. it, it's that scale has finally started to shift. I think yeah. it's, it's fair to say that, you know, yeah. we were, we were moving in one direction and now we're moving. I mean, and, and, uh, for instance, in the late 1800s, the Supreme court declared that we were a Christian nation yeah. in the 1960s, the Supreme, same Supreme court, different people, obviously, but the yeah. Supreme court said we are a secular nation. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's, I mean, that's how long it took that to shift. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and so now, I mean, can anyone fathom the Supreme Court coming back and saying, oh, we're going to mm-hmm. reverse it back again? Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, not in a long time, right. if I mean, well, if a, ever. That's yeah. a lifetime. Yeah. The eight, 1800s to 1960s. Exactly. So and, so yeah. a whole generation passed away. And, yeah. and I think that is exactly I think we'll have to go toward more of a experience we're in the same cycle that israel was in where we're going to have to go through a cycle of rebellion then judgment and wrath and mm-hmm. and then and if we do come back if god's gracious enough if he tarries mm-hmm. uh we'll say it'll cycle back around and there will be another mm-hmm. time of revival and more people will come into the kingdom but that's just his overall redemptive plan but we have to recognize mm-hmm. where we are on that spectrum right. and uh and we are in that place you know when you read that in the old testament you think uh you know the hundreds of years they were under the rule of the judges and you think, man, there were some really bad times to be born, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, ah, I yeah. wouldn't want to be in that one. Yeah. But yeah. they were. I mean, people are. And yeah. so you just, just where you are. Yeah. And, well, yeah. and the, I think the other thing I'd say that the, I said better and better. I think there's another, there, there's two reactions. Other people I've are, almost had the t-shirts printed. It's like, we can be better or we can be better. Yeah. I, like I was texting people, Did get you? this on a shirt. Well, there you go. Let's put it on a bumper sticker. That's right. It's so, good. so bad. But, but first, but first, love, jump in. We, jump in. We love our alliteration. We can be better. Yeah. We can be better. We can be Baptist. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but but the two the two responses I think in the cultural political realm is, yeah. do you now engage the culture? Right. Or do you remove yourself from it? Right. And um, it's an election day, so this is just why I use the next examples. There are, I think, Christian generations older than mine. Mm-hmm. The response is, you engage in that. Because, and you try to make a difference. Okay. And I think there's warrant to that. Yeah. And then there's, um, I think Christians my generation and younger who say we don't care about any of that. We just care about being faithful to, to Jesus and worry about His kingdom. And I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy. Um, you know, I think I, I heard Os Guinness talk about this. I saw a clip of him on Twitter the other day talking about this. He goes. They use the early church as an example. He goes, well, the early church wasn't engaged in Roman politics. I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't. This wasn't an imp- like it wasn't a a democratic republic where they could do that. Right. Exactly. You know, like I, you wonder you wonder what the apostles would do if they were in America. If they could vote. Yeah. Yeah. Like you wonder you wonder. Um, I, I'm not going to say that that the epistles would have been different. Yeah. But but you wonder how the 
how they would have applied that teaching differently. Hmm. Um, so, so I think avoiding extreme reactions in an extreme culture is probably helpful as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of being, of saying, um, it's so funny that I hear conservative Christians all the time say that the liberals view the government as God and they want the government to fix all the problems. And I'm like, yeah, but you kind of do too. Yeah. You kind of do the same thing. You just you just expect them to do different issues, handle right. different issues. Right. But um, you're still looking to government to be the yeah. answer. Yeah. 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 So you do that, or you just disengage altogether, which is like right. okay. But if you do that, is it having you just kind of given up? Right. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah. as we're pressing into the question and answer section, I'll, I'll, do you mind if I read that passage? We'll do questions. Let's take a break. Okay. Okay. Good. We're gonna take a break, and we'll come back, and we're gonna answer some questions. Claim Your Destiny, a men's Bible study of Kingdom Man, six Monday nights starting April 17th at 6.30 p.m. at First Baptist Jackson at The Bridge. That's April 17th, 6.30 p.m. at The Bridge here at First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you'd like to register, go to the Kingdom Man at FBCJ link at fbcj.us. That's our website, fbcj.us. our podcast where we take a little bit of time to answer questions that arose in our reading or just Bible questions and random. But uh, before the guys give me any questions that they have, they I wanted to address uh, a couple of things that we actually looked at uh, this week. One uh, is a, a one is not actually one that we dealt with this week, but it's from Deuteronomy chapter 29, 19. And uh, and I want to just uh, I want to start by saying uh, here's what it says. Um, when someone hears the words of this oath, he may consider himself exempt, thinking, I will have peace enough, even though I follow my own stubborn heart. This will lead to the destruction of the well-watered land as well as the dry land. I say that because I want to read it to you from uh, the um, New King James Version because it is um, dramatically uh, different. I lost the New King James Version, but I'm going to find it right there. Boom. Uh, It is... And um, it's and so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. And uh, and it just gets more bizarre from there. I just wanted to highlight the challenges of interpreting the Old Testament Hebrew. Uh, it is there the 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 way we when you approach a passage, uh, there are a couple of different things that come into play when when translators are trying to figure out what it was. And one of the reasons why this is different is because there's an ancient idiom that uh, that was used during that time period that ref, that is similar to the way it's written in Hebrew. And so some translators draw from that idiom to come to a conclusion. And and what that is, uh, and, and so you have literal translations. And then some say, well, this is kind of poetic in the way it is written, so let's go ahead and interpret it based on what we know about this poetic device that we believe is being used in this place. 
you got a lot of part, smart people who are making those decisions. And so it's so I think it's worthwhile to read all the translations. And here's something I always try to remind myself of, that God is the one who authored it uh, ultimately, and that, that uh, he is aware of the ambiguity of a phrase or whatever, and possibly wants all of them to be out there and all considered and so forth, because they all lead us to conclusions, I think, that are good and very biblical and so forth. Uh, and so, so when you're reading the Bible, you do read. Uh, don't don't just say one's right, another's wrong. Read it because it gives you a little bit of understanding that uh, because Hebrew does have a lot of uh, variance in understanding and meaning and so forth. And so sometimes all of the meanings that are inherent within those phrases are to be applied. It's it's a very rich language in that respect. So um, so anyway, don't just uh, don't just say it's it's this and and move on, uh, but take time to um, to embrace all of it. So anyway, why don't you give them a couple examples of translations that would be worthwhile oh worthwhile translations yep. uh well i mean it, let me just uh, i'm going to throw out a plug for the uh, the authorized version uh and the because i know there's a lot of kjv people out there and i know before i i've, I've burned i've been on a bandwagon i'm just getting rid of the kjv but i've come to appreciate what it is what it does where it holds historically and so forth and that god used it for hundreds of years uh, above all other translations uh, and and so and it is it's a it's a literal word for word translation so it has merit in that i put it alongside the new american standard bible in that respect so they are literal word for word translations but the difficulty is when you have a literal word for word translation because we're talking about going from one completely different language to another i mean english is not structured in any way like hebrew maybe a little not even very much like greek uh, but uh uh, it's English is tough in its own right, but when you make those carryovers, you lose something. So what what it is in a literal word for word translation, you almost always have to have somebody goes, here's what this really means. <laughs> and so the other ones are what we call dynamic translations. And so you have people who are saying, oh, let's just say what it really means phrase by phrase, if you think of it. So this is what this expression means. So you're interpreting the sentence and putting different syntax and so forth that more matches our language. To make it make more sense, uh, let me. I would put the uh, Christian Standard Bible in there, uh, the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible, the uh, ESV. ESV, the RSV, the uh, RS, R, yeah, that's right. It sounds like a I was thinking of respiratory virus, uh, yeah, but that, I, think, that, I was that thinking of the respiratory popular. thing. But anyone's like, oh, I just I just realized they're the same thing. Um, the the, the um, New King James, yeah, and and even that. the New Living Translation would be in that. And then one step beyond that, you have a paraphrased version that takes passages and trans and interprets them. And so I would not say they are good study Bibles. They are good reading, but you are reading. It's like reading commentaries. You're getting someone's interpretation of that passage, right. not what the passage literally says. And it that would be. It should not be the primary translation you read from. That's correct. Yeah. It's, it's like the yeah. the Living Bible or the Message yeah. or this is a person who's fallible, mm. who's interpreting that which is, uh, it was infallible. Uh, and yeah. so, uh, so yeah, it would be like me telling you what it says, that um, what I'm telling you is extremely fallible. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but if I wrote it down and made a copy of it, that's what a paraphrase is. It might be, it might be helpful to you if you're new at reading the Bible and so forth, or especially for like a children's story Bible. Those are, those are useful uh, because they, they spur interest and so forth. But I would not. They are not authoritative. Let me put it that way. Uh, but to, yeah. But the so so dynamic and literal are the two that you would stick with. And and let me just highlight what I use. I use CSB. 
uh, I use the New King James Version uh, because it at least cleans up the language a little bit from 1611 to modern day. And um, and I also use the ESV. So. Yeah. I, I would suggest um, finding one of the um, very popular study Bibles if mm-hmm. you're a young believer instead of reading a paraphrase. So like right. like uh, the ESV has a very popular study Bible. R.C. Sproul has an ESV one that he put out. Um, well, and this, let me, yeah. and this is, and I know we're all Bible students, but let me just, because if you're listening and you're not a Bible student and you are not a great reader, mm-hmm. the, the, the advantage of the message and the living Bible, and I've come to appreciate them, is if, if that's the only way it gets you interested in reading the word, then read it, but have as a companion to it an actual literal translation so that you can see this and and say, I wonder what the Bible, don't think of it as a mm-hmm. Bible. Think of it yeah. as a as a storybook about the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so you are reading it and then say, I wonder what the Bible actually says. And mm-hmm. I, because I encourage children to do that. If they need a picture right. Bible, a Bible storybook, those are, I mean, if they're not reading anything, mm-hmm. I mean, I would rather them that than to stare at a, a bunch of pages in a very accurate translation, but not understand any of it. Yeah. But if they read the story of Daniel and they think, oh my goodness, I wonder how that really looks like in the Bible. And then they go to the Bible. Now they have at least a visual picture that kind of helps yeah. them to dig deeper in the text. Yeah, and, There's always room to become a Bible yeah. student. But if you're a Bible student, if you're somebody who's trying to learn the word, uh, yeah, you need a literal translation. Yeah. And come and, to my Bible study starting April 19th. Mm-hmm. Boom. Yeah, and, there, and, plug. yeah and, there, and there's no shame in asking someone else that's older and wiser in their faith for help in that. That's yeah. called mentorship. We've all needed someone to help us with that. Early on, and we continue to do it. Okay, another question. You had a question. Yep. I have two questions. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So buckle up, kids. Uh, Leviticus, no. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy fourteen twenty-two to twenty-nine. It's the passage on tithing. Okay. So, oh, I should be close to the mic, shouldn't I? Yeah, you should. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I can hear it now. Okay. So, <laughs> um, do you, Troy Richards, think that? Tithing still applies. Strict, the actual rule of tithing mm. applies in the New Testament church. Uh, no, for one simple reason, and that is the guidelines, the rules of tithing are are pretty much connected to uh, a, a system that we don't employ anymore. And you've killed all of our giving right there. I know, I know absolutely. Um, while I do, but I do think, and I do encourage people to tithe. And so forth, and this is and this is the con again going back all the way to Abraham uh, when he was giving a tithe. I think that's where we were talking earlier about the Sabbath. And if you didn't hear the part, you go back to the earlier part of the podcast. But the um, same principle that these were things that were instituted before the law was given. And so while you have a Jewish component of this is the law and this is how what my people, the Jewish distinctly the Jewish people, to abide by these things, uh, there was also a principle that was given long before. Uh, that's inherent in the created order, and I think as stewards of God's resources, uh, to I think it is to differentiate the difference between being a steward and an owner, that we do not own any of the things that we have, that it all belongs to God, and we give it all back to God, and so giving 10% is some, a more biblical guideline uh, that we have of rather, I mean, or you can give everything, I mean, you give it all to God, but to say, I'm going to take 10% and set it aside and give that to God just to show him that I know he is the one who owns it all, 
and that uh, that I am just a steward over his resources, that my provision comes from him and not from my abilities, not from the salary or paycheck that I have, not from the government or whatever the case. And so just in recognizing that, I'm offering that back to him. One of the reasons why I encourage people to give to their local congregation is because we do not have a temple to give to. Uh, you can't, uh, there's no There's no way, God doesn't have a mailbox that you can send it to God. So by giving it to the, the a body of believers, the body of Christ, uh, your local body of believers, uh, you are saying, I no longer have control of this 10%. I'm now giving it to the body of Christ. Now, while I'm a part of that body and I influence that, I, I do not make those decisions myself. I, I'm a part of that decision-making, but a part of the body. And so I, I give that money back into the body of Christ uh, to be used to, for God's glory. And then when people say, well, what if the church is not giving, not using that money in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to God? I have a very simple answer. I would go to a different church. <laughs> I would not be a part of a body of believers that I believed that I, that maybe, it, maybe this need to be called on it. Maybe just need to be reminded, hey, we need to do this in a way that brings glory to God and speak to that. But if that voice gets squelched out and no longer does that body of believers give or do or handle the resources of God in a way that reflects the word of God or is in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to him, then no, I wouldn't be a part of that congregation. I would go somewhere else. Mm. So mm. anyway, so does that help? Mm. That answer? That, that does. Okay. That's very helpful. Okay. Question number two. Question number two, still in Deuteronomy, mm. Deuteronomy 17. Now this one was interesting. I'd mentioned this to you before. So in Deuteronomy 17, starting verse 14, uh, God lays out um, guidelines or rules for appointing a king over mm-hmm. Israel. Right. Fast forward to 1 Samuel. Um, we go through the Judges era. Right. In 1 Samuel, Israel asks Samuel, we want a king. We right. We want to appoint a king. And the Lord is not pleased with that. Right. He's, he says, I'm your king. Right. So why put in the law rules for a king hmm. if you don't want them to have a king? Yeah, very good. Very good question. In fact, in fact, it's such a good question. Some people have used that passage to say that this is not actually what Moses wrote, but it was added later in order to justify things, decisions that have made. And, and you hear that argument over and over again in Scripture when it, when it alludes to something that has yet to take place or transpire. Uh, basically, anything supernatural uh, in that understanding, uh, naturalist will say, oh, well, that had to be added later because obviously Moses couldn't have had insight into what was going to happen later. Obviously, he's not getting words from the Lord. Um, but uh, but we know that it is the word of the Lord, that God is knowledgeable. And uh, and dealing with Saul, I mean, really, uh, if, if when Israel was looking for a king, it really wasn't that God was... Uh, God never really says uh, you're never going to have a king. He just he definitely is saying I don't I don't want you to have a king at this time. But they demanded a king at that time, and so I think he gave them the king that they demanded. Uh, I really believe that David is the king that God wanted to put into place. That it is it is the one the man whom God had chosen, the man after God's own heart, because he's going to be of the line of his son Jesus. I mean, he's going to create the kingly line that Jesus is going to come from. But yet here you have this whole incident with Saul, his whole household uh, going stray, uh, all the problems and pain and difficulty and judgment that comes as a result of Saul's household and then the king, uh, the kingdom being ripped away from Saul. None of that would have transpired had the people been patient and waited for God to unfold things as he had in, intended. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it was God saying, I never want you to have a king. 
because ultimately his son is going to be king. Uh, but instead, saying uh, when when the king when you are given a kingdom, here are the parameters that are given. Um, there are also uh, alongside that there are also many laws that are given that uh, necessarily that do reflect what to do when people do not do that which God has ordained. And so uh, it's like Jesus said, why uh, Moses gave you a certificate of divorce, but the reason he did it was because of the hardness of your heart. So absolutely, God could have put the explanation there. Here's what you need to do because I'm I'm very well aware of the hardness of your heart, and you're going to go down this path anyway. So. Very insightful stuff. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, good. Well, man, we've we really we have we have yeah. beat this drum yeah. for quite some time. We've Th- gone we've gone the distance. So thank you um, all for being part of the yes, podcast. Yes, yeah, thank you for hanging with us today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. I uh, the guys are going to be here next week. I'm going to be bowing out spring break with the grandkids. So I uh, but I hope you'll come and enjoy the podcast uh, next week as uh, we continue on. And uh, we are if you're listening to this podcast on in real time uh and we're in the week of and an easter sunday is still in front of us uh we're going to be worshiping at the park this week and so we're excited want to invite you to come be a part of that at at, at 10 a.m it's going to be a unique service at the park obviously we won't be there every week but if you're listening to this after easter then yes we still want you to come be a part of our worship experience each week on Sunday mornings at 10:30, and uh, we have Bible study and fellowship, free coffee and donuts, both at the bridge and in our main uh, main fellowship hall. Uh, and uh, and just want you to come and fellowship with us, spend some time, uh, eat a free donut. Free donuts are the best donuts, and and if you Jackson go to Jackson Donuts are the best you, donuts, yeah, and they are Jackson Donuts, yeah, that's right. And they uh, and then at the bridge where we have our Holy Grounds um, coffee house Bible study that yours truly, me myself leads, uh, so I'm a little partial to it. Uh, we have our own barista, so you get fancy coffee if wow. you come there. Free fancy, fancy coffee, free fancy coffee, and our donuts are better too. Just gonna throw that out there. But anyway, yeah. all things to think about. So nine o'clock for Bible study, ten thirty for worship here at First Baptist Jackson, 212 South High Street in Jackson, Missouri. Thank you for being here on the Understanding Jesus podcast. We will see you next time.